everyone makes fun of me because both times I made the Olympic team, I was like crying and, <laughs> you know, it's not popular for men to be emotional in America, especially black men. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was gymnast John Orozco. I'm Ed Knowles and this is the official Olympic Channel Podcast. Each week we find the very best athletes and speakers and we ask them all about the biggest Olympic talking points. Olympic Channel Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure doing the Olympic Channel Podcast this year and we thought we would take the opportunity to have a look back at some of the most popular interviews we've done this year. Coming up, we've got incredible life stories from gymnast John Orozco and swimmer Anthony Irvin. Plus, we hear from the man behind the world's best figure skaters, Brian Orsa. And also, you might remember that we spoke to double Olympic champion Yasuru Hanyu in English. A rare treat there. But we start with one of the all-time greats, Simone Biles. We spoke to the four-time Olympic champion just after she became world all-around champion yet again in Doha. She also became the gymnast with the most first places at the World Championship since, well, anyone ever. Scott Bregman spoke to her about the pressure that brings to her performances, why she wants to go unbeaten in the run-up to Tokyo 2020, and how she got with boyfriend Stacey Irvin. But they began by chatting about Biles' newfound online voice and the power that brings. Olympic Channel Podcast. In the last year, you've obviously you've found your voice. You know, you've, mm -hmm. you had the tweet that, you know, closed the ranch. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you had, you know, some, you, you weren't afraid to say to Carrie Perry yes. that she needed to, to speak up. Mm -hmm. You said that was her job at nationals. Yes. And then, um, you know, right before we came here, you had the tweet about Mary Bono. Just yes. tell me about, you, you've been very specific in the moments mm -hmm. you've chosen to do that. So yes. what about those moments made you want to yes. speak up? I think in those specific moments, you have to use your voice in a positive manner as long as it doesn't draw negative attention and you really stick to what you're saying and what you believe in, I think, um, it's okay and in those moments I felt that I needed to speak up so that people would hear and you know it would encourage other people to share their thoughts on it and you know you have to choose your battles wisely and I try not to nitpick everything but if I see something I don't like you know you're you're quick to grab your phone and be like I'm gonna tweet something but you have to be smart with your words too so that it doesn't come off in a wrong way so I try to do that um, and as soon as I did the Mary Bono tweet. My mom got a little bit upset and then realized that it was in a good manner and um, then she was really proud. <laughs> are, you, you're, are you aware of just like you know you, you, when you send that tweet like the it's world powerful. is going to explode basically. Yes. Yes. It is scary in that way because sometimes you know I choose what I do wisely and I know that it's going to have a very big impact on the decisions to come forth, so I have to be wise as well. Um, but you know, she also made that decision to put that out there. So she has to be ready for whatever feedback she got. So <clears throat> switching gears, uh, your boyfriend, Stacey Irvin, <laughs> he's been pretty yeah. active on Twitter. Yes. Um, he called you superhuman the other day. Mm -hmm. How has his support, especially with 
everything going on this year and specifically this week, how yes. has that helped you? No, it means the world. Um, I love him to death and he's one of my biggest supporters as well as my family and it's really good to have him on my side and for him to understand the sport and the training that we go through and to have such a big outcome and he was reminding me last night, hey, I know you're disappointed, but try not to be like, you brought back another medal for yourself and for the U.S. So um, it, it really pained him to see me so upset after such a big win. How does a guy first approach Simone Biles? I mean, how did this happen? <laughs> did, did you make the first move? Yeah. Did he ask you okay. out? So you know how there's two different sides to every story? Mine was, I remember telling him that he was cute one year, and then I didn't hear from him for a year. But you know, they always come back around. It's fine, it's fine. Um, but he was like, no, I don't remember that. I just remember this. And then um, he would always say, I wanna come play in your gym. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Cause you're in Austin, I'm in Houston. It's not too far. Um, and then he was like, you know what? I don't, I'm not sure if I'm really loving my job. Maybe I wanna coach some kids, some on the boys team. Do you have any openings? And I talked to my mom, I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever, come down. And then that's kind of when it blossomed. <laughs> So he made the first move once he got to Houston? Um, How did that happen? Kind of, because whenever he came down for the job interview, we went out to lunch just to like catch up and everything. Um, and then I think we realized there was a little bit of a spark. You've done everything in this sport, obviously, mm -hmm. right? Do you feel like that gives you more pressure or less pressure? Because, you know, in the lead up to Rio, you weren't yes. an Olympian, you weren't an Olympic champion. Mm -hmm. And now, like, no matter what happens, those yes. titles aren't going, or does that give you more or, or less pressure? It depends on which way I look at it. Sometimes it's less pressure um, because I do have all of those accomplishments to back me up. But then on another scale, I feel like it, it gives me more pressure because I have to live up to all of those accomplishments and those standards. Someone said to me the other day, like, why would she go to 2019 Worlds? Why won't she just sit it out and get ready for mm -hmm. Tokyo? But <laughs> I know that's not what you're thinking. Like, yes. How important is it for you to go into Tokyo as the world yeah. champion? No, it's definitely important because you have to prove yourself once again and you have to prove um, to your delegation that you're worthy of them putting you on such a big stage and you um, putting out those routines and hitting them. and. I think it's important. I would never want to sit it out. Everyone's like, just take another year off. You came back in a year and you're fine. You won. It's fine. But you know, you also need that confidence going into the Olympics, the world championships, knowing, you know what, six months ago I did worlds and I hit my sets and you just, it's always an experience and you need that international experience and the confidence. Do you think you're going to continue to add some new elements as you go towards Tokyo? Um, we're definitely hoping so. Um, my body's holding up pretty well, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Olympic Channel Podcast. Thank you to Simone for that. Scott also sat down with another gymnast this year by the name of John Orozco. He's from the Bronx and he's gone through unbelievably tough times. He suffered three potentially career-ending injuries and came back. His mum died. He cried on national television twice. But his underperformance at London 2012 got to him. And he dedicated his life to redeeming himself at Rio 2016. But just 21 days before the Games were due to start, he tore his ligament in his left knee for the second time. That was it. This time, his career was over. Scott started the interview by talking about those moments where John shed a tear 
on NBC. Olympic Channel Podcast. Everyone makes fun of me because both times I made the Olympic team, I was like crying and, <laughs> you know, it's not popular for men to be emotional in America, especially black men. But I, uh, I didn't care. It felt like everything had finally paid off. It was like, no way, no way. It did, it finally did, because like so many things are telling me it wasn't. And I was just like, I can do it. I can do it. And I did it. And uh, I remember looking at my mom, uh, because I was talking and I was so excited, I, was, I started rambling. And then I looked up at my mom and I started getting super emotional because not only did I go through it, but you know, she went through it too. She, she was everything for me and my family because she had battled so many illnesses, so many, she went through so many surgeries and just so many operations. I was just like, man, sometimes I would just pray like, God, please like bring me the pain. I'm like young, I can take it. And like, it's just not fair for someone who's worked so hard to be so, at such an old age, be suffering so much for nothing. Because honestly, I mean, I don't like to be this pessimistic, but at her age at that time, it was just kind of like, in my heart, after everything I was taught, I was kind of like, how could God let something like this happen to my mom, who is somebody that's never really done anything to anybody? Like, we're trying, you know this. And like, why would you do this to my mom, why? But, you know, perspective. And then London, like, what do you, what's, what memory stands out? <laughs> Sorry. <Okay>. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, so in 2012, it just felt like all my hard work finally paid off, and it was, it was finally all coming together. And it was coming together really fast, almost too fast. It was a little overwhelming for me, I believe, uh, because I was not ready for that attention or the judgment from everyone and the public and Twitter was a thing, a new thing that was, if you think it was unfiltered back then, it was like super, it was, it was brand new. Like everyone was just on it, putting their statuses and everything. And I remember uh, when I made the team and someone, people were like tweeting and stuff and I was like, uh, you're trending, you're trending. I'm like, I don't know what that means, like great, yeah. Uh, but it was, it was amazing just standing up there, finally, you know, with hearing the crowd and just being able to say, yeah, I made the Olympic team. And it was a dream come true. I got to check that off my list. And I, that whole time period from making the team to after the Olympics was just like, I have to go back and really remember everything that happened and look at photos and everything because it was just, it was so fast and it was such a whirlwind of, events that just happened like that. And uh, afterwards, I remember thinking, I, like, now what? <laughs> now what? It just felt like this big thing I thought about, like for my entire life was just over like that in a few weeks. And I was just like, huh, it's really, it, 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 it <laughs> there's a time where it's over. <laughs> it's just strange, it's such a big like, huh after your first Olympics, you know? It's like, I can do it, I can do it. And it's, you know, 
there's no end of the world afterwards. Because then, you know, they make you feel like that for so many years. They make you sacrifice so much, everything. I, I left home at 17. I didn't have friends ever. Didn't have time to party. Didn't even go to college, which is another sacrifice that I made personally. After, uh, you know, talking with my parents and everything. Uh, but um, my first Olympic Games was not what I thought I wanted it to be at the time, but I wouldn't change it. Wouldn't change any of my experiences. And then the next quad, 13 to 16 for you was like, I mean, just tell, tell me That's about- That's four years, dude. Think about all the injuries I've had in four years. After 2012, 2013 to 16 was a nightmare. I had never gotten over not being able to showcase my true potential at the games because I had felt so cheated. <laughs> I felt so cheated. I just felt like, God, you know I put in so much work. Why didn't you just help me out? Put me on my feet. Because I used to pray a lot back then. But not only was that not going to change anything, but then I started getting injured. And honestly, now that I look back on my career, I know a lot of the things of what it was that kept me injured. Which is honestly just stress. Stress from my family. After my mom died, stress from friends that I thought were my friends, but not really because after the Olympics, you realize who is and who is not because depending on how well you do, you'll see where your friends, who your friends are, who they aren't. So, and you know, before, and before that point, I had never had you know, the best social skills or anything to create bonds with people, but uh, just a lot of, it was a big, big, big learning curve. But the thing was, I wasn't done learning. It was like a whole quadranium of learning. Hard learning. Hard learning. Always the hard way. And I learned a lot of things. I learned from my mom's death. I learned not to hold on to things that don't mean anything really. And I think it made me very self-aware afterwards. And another thing I learned was disrespecting my body because I realized that I was getting older and uh, I kept wanting to increase my difficulty, just increasing it, increasing it, and do the numbers because honestly, I was never a numbers athlete, never a numbers guy in the gym, ever. I, I just had to be able to go in there, warm up, do it, done, that's it. This is the way I did it. Um, and I remember after 2012, I was just trying to change my whole approach and everything, and it just wasn't working. I was exhausting myself. I was not eating because there were people telling me I was fat. There was judges telling me I was fat because I just didn't look slim and I didn't, I wasn't cut like all the other dudes. And you know, as a man, I never thought I'd deal with something like that, which is strange. I think the biggest thing was learning not to doubt myself, really. Learning not to doubt my decisions and my,
gut feelings. And also just taking more responsibility for my actions and holding myself accountable for a lot of things outside of the gym that I wasn't doing before that I realize now was actually important. Olympic Channel Podcast. Thanks to Scott and good luck to John who is pursuing a music career in LA. He has released a single and I will stick a link to it in the episode description. It's actually really good. Remember, you can go and listen to any of the podcasts by heading over to olympicchannel.com or just having a look wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I was lucky enough to meet up with swimmer and triple Olympic gold medalist Anthony Irvin. Now, way back in Sydney 2000, he became the 50-metre freestyle Olympic champion aged just 19. Then, aged 35, he won the same title at Rio. In between, though, he was homeless for a time, attempted suicide and drank heavily. But once he was through those tough times, he'd learnt a valuable lesson. Winning can be dangerous. I sat down with him and we spoke about all aspects of winning. Olympic Channel Podcast. Maybe one person is at the top of the podium, um, but everybody contributed to it. And, you know, winning is great. You know, it's a, it's a great opportunity to give back to all the people that, you know, that directly helped you. Um, and, and to branch out and, and, uh, and, and thank and, and show your better angels for those that uh, you have the privilege of representing. Um, but even if you don't win, you know, they say, they say when, you, when you don't get what you want, you get experience. And when, with experience, you get enough rhythm of those experiences, you have wisdom. And wisdom is something that you can give to others. And uh, I don't know much more to say about that right now. <laughs> but it's a good thing. Uh, you know, I'm really caught up nowadays in, in trying to think of, of service, of how, of how you give back. And experience is one of those things you do have, right? And a lot of times as an athlete, when you have that experience, that knowledge of what you take away, when you don't get what you want, you don't necessarily win. Because um, winning isn't, for, at least for me, winning is not the goal. Winning would just be evidence of what you've done. It should be, but it's really hard to keep that in mind. You know, like, I, I love winning stuff. Like, if there's, a, like, a TV to win and a raffle or, like, a lottery yeah. or something, I'm like, yep, let's do it. You know, you've got to be in it to win it. And that feeling when you do, I mean, I've never won anything worth shouting about. And when I look at someone who's won an Olympic gold medal, like there's a there's a, there's something I know I know that you say you know the winning is an important and I know I get I get it. It but is it, important. It, yeah, it is important, but it's not always important, and it's certainly not the only thing that's important, right? Winning can be, from my experience, winning can be a terrible thing that happens to you. It can completely intoxicate you and derail you, and you may distort your values and principles because of what winning may open up to you. Now, winning is a test. Um, it's something that you pass through and you get tested by it. It's not uh, a, a goal in and of itself. You know, in a lot of ways, I think like winning or becoming a champion uh, is its own challenge. Like to be it, not to achieve it. Do you think you won too early then? Of course I won too early. I wasn't ready. 
I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't ready to have cameras lurching into me, calling out uh, from the people for me to echo back. Like I wasn't ready for that at all. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the voyage, it looks so young, like, like from uh, Sydney 2000. And then, yeah, I guess. Hey, but there are people at, in Rio that were before the media talking, being that, doing a great job, right? Just for me, it was, I definitely, retrospectively, I look back, it was like too much, too soon. And while I don't have very many regrets, if any, because I, I enjoyed the journey I took after it. Um, and, and I enjoyed the journey returning back to sport. Um, you know, like, there's an easier path. <laughs> sure, I think, I, think, I, think that's, I think that's fair to say, basically. Yeah. So after Sydney, for someone who doesn't know, it was a bit of a rocky road up until mm -hmm. Rio 2016. There was, yeah, that's, you know, I think I, this... I don't think that's necessarily prior. It, was, it wasn't, it, it was a rocky road immediately after Sydney. Yeah. For a few years. And after that, I felt like I was just cruising, living my best life. <laughs> so the, the, so it was literally like massive peak, massive drop Massive off. drop. And then a steady. And then like, like a, back. Yeah. yeah. But I suppose once you've dropped super low, it's, there's, there's things that you realize you need and I suppose things that you realize just not needed at all. It's person to person, you know, I, I, I would want to look to the next generation and I, I would want to try to be protective of them um, and, and use the knowledge that I have. But I know that, that some people will, would want to chase such an extreme and I'd have a hard time arguing against that. Right. Um, but I don't think you'd necessarily need me if you're one of those people. Right? And, and if I can quote Herman Melville from Moby Dick, right. Um, in the mountains there is an eagle, right? The Catskills eagle. And even though it dives down into the deepest gorges, the darkness, before flying back up to the top of the mountain, it flies above all other birds of the plain, right? Like it'll get so high where the air is thin, there's nothing else there, why? And then dive dive, 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 and tell to the darkest gorge and reemerge, flanked by the sun, right? There's something in that of being, reaching such a great height and such a low, but being able to come back up anyways. Um, some people are called to it. Perhaps it's an instinct. Maybe I'm just an animal pretending to be something more, or maybe you know, I'm, I'm actually a highly divine being pretending to be an animal. I don't know. Perhaps somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I don't think anyone knows. Olympic Channel Podcast. Shout out to Anthony. I absolutely loved doing that interview. So 2018 was the year that the world at large fell even more in love with a Japanese figure skater. His name, Yuzuru Hanyu. Despite an ankle injury, he put out a mesmerising performance at Pyeongchang 2018 to win a second Olympic gold medal. Another ankle injury forced him out of the Grand Prix finals in Vancouver, but we did speak to his coach. Olympic champion Merrill Davis sat down with Brian Orsa. We joined this chat when Orsa was telling a story about how Yusuru had been missing his training partner and bronze medalist from Pyeongchang, Javi Fernandez of Spain. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel Podcast. Podcast.
maybe a month ago or six weeks ago, we were doing a session and we were doing like a like an edge class. Mm -hmm. And um, so Yuzu just sort of stopped in the middle of it and he was looking up and I was like, what are you doing? You know, in our rink we have a whole bank of flags of all the countries that train at our rink. And he was standing under the Spanish flag. Is everything okay? And he's like, I just miss happy. I'm like, oh, that's so special. He really, yeah, just sort of getting into the new season. And so he's getting revved up for this season. He's won two Olympic gold medals, and you try to think, like, where's this motivation coming from? That's that was going to be my next question. Where is it coming from? How do you, you know, with the injuries, overcoming the injuries, winning not just one but two Olympic gold medals? As you said, he only had a month really to prepare and train mm -hmm. for the 2018 games. Where does that motivation come from? You know, he finished um, like after Olympics. He still had to take more time off to heal, and then he did some shows and you know the drill, and then he came back and know just maybe motivated with new programs you know Jeff Buttle did a great new short Shay Lynn did a great new long and he just found motivation in that but it's not a matter of just for him just to be kind of complacent he likes to push the envelope and now we have a new system we had a you know from a four and a half minute program to four minute program and that's a new challenge and not that easy but um, and then we have the plus five minus five. So right. then it was like his challenge was like, how am I going to work this system? And we were kind of working on it together. So he's a little, I guess, little carrots that were sort of dangled, you know. It just takes such a unique individual to win two Olympic gold medals and then think, here's this new challenge that I really want to tackle again. I mean, it's just yeah. incredible. Yeah, and the one thing that he did say to sort of keep him going. I mean, these are his words um, that he wants to be the first person to do a quad axle. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's that's a huge task. Of course. <laughs> but if anybody can do it, it'll be him. So, I that. It, for him to do that, it's like body, mind, the moon, the stars, yeah. everything. I, I can't relate. <laughs> I literally cannot even imagine what it's like to be able to do something like that. So, it's on the back burner now because he's been re injured and, and, and on the mend. But, uh, you know, he likes to have these challenges. So. Incredible. So I that mean, keeps him going. And we're certainly all lucky to have the opportunity to continue watching him tackle these challenges. Yeah, and it's fun for me to be kind of part of this circus, if you will, of the stardom. Right. That's his thing, but it's kind of fun. I'm on the peripheral, but it's kind of fun to be kind of part of that because I kind of went through that with Yuna and now, and somewhat with Javi, but with, you know, this is on a, uh, a level, like mm. the stratosphere of with Yuzu and that's More stardom. so than you know, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I really do think so. I mean, I thought I was marveling at the at the Yuna Kim sensation and Queen Yuna. Mm -hmm. And 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 now it's with um, Yuzu and, and Pooh Bear. Of, right, and the age of social <laughs> media, I guess, changes stardom as well. Yeah. The yeah. access and, and the fandom. But I wanted to ask you about that, you know, being in the limelight and having expectations from your country and, and having so many fans, I think it would be difficult for a lot of coaches to relate to. Mm -hmm. But of course, with so many of your own experiences as an athlete, I feel like you bring that experience, you know, of, of being a Canadian star and, and being so embraced and adored by the Canadian public. Does that play a role in your ability to deal with your, your very high profile athletes and sort of help them approach um, you know, from the mental aspect, competing yeah. as such a high-profile star. So there's, yeah, there's like there's the mental part of, of competing and mm -hmm. preparation, but then there's the stardom stuff that um, it has to be managed. Mm. Um, but it's also 
they see it, and I'm glad they do see it this way, but they see it as a responsibility. Mm -hmm. So it's a responsibility to the fans. Mm -hmm. It's a responsibility to the media. And they see it that way, they take it very seriously, and it's a lot of management. And it's more than I've ever had to do when I was skating. I know we didn't have social media. Right. And, um, you know, you read about things after the fact. Mm -hmm. And things were promoted the old-fashioned way of just kind of putting it in newspapers and right. going out and doing your media days and, and a lot of it now is social media and, and so but the social media can be good and it can also be not so good and we have to be careful of that and I try to manage the kids to be sure to not get caught up too much in some of these blogs and to read stuff of and, course. because it can be you know it can be pretty painful oh and I, I mean there's just so much available on the internet so to dive into that would be hard to get back out of it's dangerous Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel podcast, podcast. And so, to the man himself. I still remember the interview I did with Yusuri Hanyu very vividly in South Korea, just as the games were ending. He turned up at exactly the time he said he would. He was flanked by just one or two people, mainly from the Japanese Olympic Committee. He'd agreed to speak a little English in the interview, which was an absolute treat. So many people from the Olympic Channel packed into this tiny studio we had in Pyeongchang. And there's a great photo of all of us who'd piled in for a shot with Yuzu. Sorry, but we were quite excited, as you can imagine. Anyway, I began by speaking to him about why he loves figure skating so much. Olympic Channel Podcast. I don't know. Just just feeling so hard and just feeling like um, unusual when I when I walking walking around when I when I alive, <laughs> so that's a really difficult thing, and it's so hard hard feeling for the normalized normal aliving. I don't know how to say. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel more alive when skating yeah. than when you are in, uh, doing anything else? Yeah, because that's a really hard things and then so difficult things. So. We spoke to some of your fans outside the venue and they've been there in the cold in Pyeongchang for like four, five hours. How flattering is that, that, that they're there just to see you? How do you cope with all of that attention? I usually feeling little, little especially scared because I haven't seen like kind of me on the of the world, <laughs> so this experience is really special. But so you know, I don't know how to how to use the power for the supporting and chilling from from my fans. But this experience is like so special for me. I think you're doing a good job of uh, <laughs> of using the power. I think with two <laughs> Olympic gold medals. Um, I wish everyone will be happy with my result. I'm from England. Winnie the Pooh mm -hmm. is originally from England. Mm -hmm. Would you uh, like to eat some honey one day in the English countryside? Is that something <laughs> that you would like to, to, to do? If I can, when I, when I um, learned lots for the English. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah. That is my dream for the, um, what I am going to the forest for the food. 
Olympic Channel Podcast. A big, big, big thanks to all of our guests who came on over 2018. It was so hard to narrow it down to just a few. We had loads of great interviews and chats. Just give us a subscribe and I promise you won't miss out on any more. We would love to know about your favourite Olympic Channel podcast interview this year. Give us a shout out at Olympic Channel or if you want to get in touch with me directly, I am at Eddie Knowles with an I and an E. Next week, we have another little treat for you. We've got a few inspirational stories that will get your 2019 started the right way. Now, if you want to make me happy, then give us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That helps us move up the rankings, which would be swell. Anyway, that's it for now. See you soon. Think like an Olympian. Olympian.